This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I speak to our own Jim Orr about some of his favourite football memories from the past, as well as paying tribute to one of Scotland's best no-nonsense defenders from the 70s and 80s. Before I get started speaking to Jim, here's your trivia question for this week and it's aimed at those who enjoy the junior game. Which two clubs from the Aberdeen region are the only two clubs from that area to have won the Scottish Junior Cup? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. What's your name and what do you do at Football Memories? My name is Jim Orr and I'm a volunteer for Football Memories. What that entails is uh, once a week I visit a care home in the south side of Glasgow where I chat to maybe half a dozen residents in the care home. They tend to be males uh, and at various stages of dementia. Uh, and the idea behind the project is to try and uh, use football to, to try and spark some conversation. Uh, in most care homes, there's not many activities for the residents, particularly the males. Uh, so this gives them a chance to get involved in something. Uh, we use the cards. We use a, a, a set of cards, uh, uh, which uh, have photographs of Scottish football players from the, from the 50s through to the 70s. Uh, and we try and use them to try and spark some conversation. So I'll basically hold up a card, and uh, the person will either get it straight away, uh, I have no idea who it is uh, or, or something in between and they use that to try and spark some conversation so for example you hold a card up and if they get it it's something like Bertie Old for example you then say well who did Bertie Old play for and uh, who else was in that team and do you remember any particular games that he played in and so on and so forth and by that you try and get some sort of conversation going uh, on a good day everyone's chatting away and a bad day no one's saying anything How did you get involved with the project? Well, when I retired, I'd always planned to do some volunteer work. Uh, about a year before I retired, uh, I'd read some articles in the newspapers about the Football Memories Project. Uh, I'd actually had somebody do a talk and some of the things that happened uh, in visiting care homes and hospitals, etc. And I thought that sounded quite an interesting thing to get involved in. Uh, and to volunteer for something that involves football uh, and talking about football, which is something I quite like doing, yeah, I thought that would be an ideal thing to do. Who do you support? Yeah, I'm a Celtic supporter, yeah, I've been a season title holder since the late 80s. What's your first football memory? My earliest football memory is playing football as a kid, uh, when I was about six years old. We lived in multi-storey flats, and at the bottom of our flat there was an area of about Three quarters the size of a five-a-side pitch, uh, and three sides of it were enclosed. Uh, two two quite high walls and uh, one kind of small wall. So that made a football pitch in itself. And at either end uh, of this area, uh, there was there was two lampposts, which meant that for the far end, uh, one lamppost would be a post, and then we'd do the usual jumpers for goalposts for the other post. And then at the other end, you'd have the other lamppost. Same idea. 
that's a post, a jumpers for the other co-post. And then what then happened was that when it got dark, the lights come on, so you had your own floor lights. So when I say the generation that played morning, noon and night, we actually did play at night time because we had our own floor lights. What was the first game you ever went to? The first game I ever went to was uh, Scotland against Wales in November 1967. Uh, Scotland won 3-2. Two goals from Alan Gilzean and a late winner by Ronnie McKinnon. Although I couldn't have told you that at the time, because uh, I, think, I think most people when they go to a match when they're, when they're just kids, it all becomes a bit of a blur. Uh, I do know we're in the North Stand, nighttime games or under the lights. Uh, and the, North Stand, the old North Stand was miles away from the pitch, so you could hardly make out the players. Uh, years later, uh, I took up writing plays, football plays, as a hobby. Uh, and the first play I wrote was something called Benderley Baxter, uh, which was based on the Wembley 67 game, which I'll come to in a minute. And uh, as part of the research, uh, I realised that that game was actually Jim Baxter's last game. So my, my first game was actually Jim Baxter's last game, which was a wee bit of interesting trivia for me. Do you, or did you play football at any level? As well as playing morning, noon and night, my uh, first taste of organised football was when I was in primary six. Uh, just before the summer, going into primary six, a, a male teacher had uh, joined our school, which was very unusual, uh, and he'd announced that he was going to start football teams after the summer, a primary six team and a primary seven team. So couldn't contain the excitement when we... Uh, we ended up playing organised football. Uh, first game we played in our yellow and blue strips, uh, we managed to win 7 nothing. Um, and for some reason they played me right back, and I was always a bit of a kind of goal scorer. Uh, I couldn't have told you where it was, or some vague idea where we played. Uh, and years later, uh, I ended up coaching kids football for the best part of 20 years. And I was on the committee of uh, the league that we played in, back when I was in primary six, and I found out where we played, and it was actually up in Codder, and my abiding memory is in black ash pitches. Played at secondary school as well, played a bit of amateur. I've always played fives, as long as I can remember. In the last couple of years, I've taken up walking football, which is not as sedate as you might think it is. So I would highly recommend walking football, because it's very competitive. Uh, you have low intensity walking football and high intensity walking football which they kind of do what they say on the tin low intensity is essentially just get a bit of exercise but the high intensity stuff is incredibly competitive so get involved Who was your first footballing idol? My first footballing idol I wouldn't say I had an idol as such uh, I think growing up in the 60s uh, there was no, no live football on TV uh, I'd buy the football magazines at the time shoot Scotch, etc. So I was always fascinated by the English League. Uh, and I suppose the goal scorers in the English League, the main two guys at the time were, were Dennis Law and Jimmy Greaves. So I don't know about idols, but certainly uh, they were probably my favourite players of that of that time. What's the best game you've ever been to? The best game I've ever been to? Uh, I think best has got many interpretations. Is it a Celtic game or is it a Scotland game? Celtic game, probably the most exciting game is when uh, 
We beat Partizan Belgrade 5-4 uh, back in 1989, uh, which made it 6 each in aggregate and put it in goal difference. We lost the fourth goal in the last minute of the game. The most tense game I've ever been to is when, uh, back in 98 when uh, Celtic managed to stop Rangers doing 10 in a row. Uh, waited 10 long years and went to the very last day of the season, so that was quite a tense game. Uh, most unique game was I was fortunate enough to get a ticket for Seville uh, when Celtic played the UEFA Cup final. It's uh, one of these games you can say, yes, I was there. Scotland games, most exciting would be the Czech game. Uh, beat Czechoslovakia 1973, beat them 2-1 to qualify for the the 1974 World Cup. Uh, tense game was I was behind the goals and McAllister missed that penalty at Wembley in 1996. In terms of a unique game, uh, I managed to get a ticket for Scotland-Norway uh, the 98 World Cup down in Bordeaux. So that's, that's the only game I've been to in a World Cup final. What's your favourite away day in Scotland? Favourite away day? I think since the introduction of all seated stadium, the football grounds have become very similar, so they've, they've, they've lost their uniqueness. Uh, I tend not to go to away games, but uh, there's a wee period maybe in the early 80s where I went to quite a few away games. Uh, Tynecastle was always pretty good for atmosphere. Uh, obviously, I can change a Celtic game. Uh, Ibrox would always be the kind of pick of the bunch. Uh, and back then, uh, you could get half of the stadium, so unlike today where they put restrictions on the away fans, so you've only maybe got less than a thousand people. But back then, when half the stadium was green and half the stadium was blue, uh, that was quite unique. What's your favourite fact about football? When I was doing the research, uh, writing my play Bender like Baxter about Wembley 67, the thing that came out of that game was the fact that we were now, Scotland were now uh, the World Cup holders because we beat England. Uh, so, because England were the World Cup holders, we beat them, so ipso facto, that means we're the World Cup holders. And then somebody came up with the word unofficial, we were the unofficial World Cup holders. And in doing the research, I kind of found out uh, there's actually is something called the unofficial World Cup. Uh, there's a website dedicated to it, and uh, there's a book written about it as well. And basically how the unofficial World Cup works it's kind of similar if you're playing pool in the old days and you put your 50 pence on the table and you play the winner and if you win you stay on and then the next guy plays you. So basically whoever beats the winner becomes the UN official uh, champion. And this goes back to the start of football uh, when the only two international countries were, that played football were Scotland and England. So that first game uh, back in the 1800s between England and Scotland, that was the first unofficial World Cup final. They ended up 0-0, so nobody won it. But England won the next game, which meant they were the first unofficial World Cup holders. And what then happens is that if Scotland then beat them, they become unofficial World Cup holders and so on and so forth. And then Wales and Northern Ireland came to the party. So that because England and Scotland were the strongest, it tended to be either England or Scotland who would be the unofficial World Cup holders. And because we were quite insular back in the day, the home nations never actually played teams out with the home nations to maybe into the 20s and 30s. So I think it was the 30s was the first time that England, who were unofficial World Cup holders at the time, they lost to Austria. 
So Austria became unofficial World Cup holders. But then England beat them again, so that brought the unofficial World Cup home back to Britain, and so on and so forth. And then the home international teams, uh, well, England, I think, uh, played in the 1950 World Cup. Then all of a sudden, other teams could then become unofficial World Cup holders. And that's how it's went on up to the current date. And stats are kept on this. And uh, when you look at who is the most successful nation for winning the unofficial World Cup, it's us, Scotland. We are the most successful nation for winning the unofficial World Cup. Uh, and it's pretty typical Scotland that we're the best at something that doesn't exist. What's the last match you went to before lockdown? The last match I attended before lockdown was uh, Celtic St Mirren. Uh, Celtic won 5 nothing at the time. Uh, they were coasting the league. Uh, Lee Griffiths got a hat-trick. Uh, Neil Lennon was the, the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, Rangers fans were uh, going mad at James Tavernier for some of the comments he made. They wanted Stephen Gerrard out. And then 10 months later, everything's flipped. It's a funny old game. Which player or manager would you like to see back at your club? Which player would I like to see back at my club? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, Fraser Foster. Uh, I think last year, Celtic won the league and a lot of that was down to Fraser Foster. Uh, and, and that's been Celtic's major weakness uh, this season, lack of a goalkeeper. And I think with a Fraser Foster in goals this season, uh, I think things might be a wee bit different. Who's your club's biggest legend of all time? I think that's a generational question. I think if you go before the Second World War, you've got people like Patsy Gallagher, Jimmy McGrory with the goals that he scored. Uh, into the 60s, you've got your Jimmy Johnson, your Bobby Lerks. Into the 70s and 80s, people like McStave, Roy Aitken. Uh, 90s onwards, I suppose, Larson's the most outstanding player from the 90s onwards. And for me, I suppose Larson would, would, uh, would maybe guess it because uh, how consistent he was over a number of years, the amount of goals he scored. Uh, he also played World Cup finals and uh, Euro finals and ended up going to Barcelona and uh, Man U as well. So it'd have to be Larson. If you had a time machine and could go back to any game at all you liked, what one would you pick? I picked two games again, one Celtic, one Scotland, and they both uh, took place within a few weeks of each other. So I was just a bit too young to appreciate uh, the 1960s. I was born in 1959, and I've been fascinated by the 60s ever since. The music, films, the fashions, etc. Uh, and 1967 was a high watermark in Scottish football where Celtic won in Lisbon, Rangers lost in the Cup Winners' Cup final, Kilmarnock lost in the semi final of the Fierce Cup and uh, Dundee United beat Barcelona over and away that season. So the first game would be took place in April 1967. Uh, Scotland beat England 3 2 at Wembley uh, to become unofficial World Cup champions, as I said earlier. Uh, the famous Wembley weekend, uh, people would save up for a couple of years. 40 50,000 Scottish fans invading made London on the pitch after the game. Baxter playing keepy uppy, Dennis Law scoring. Uh, Iconic game, uh, and because I wrote a play about it, uh, I have a quite extensive knowledge of the game. Uh, the other game, uh, the Celtic game, 
obviously the following month, uh, beating Inter Milan 2-1 in the European Cup final. First British team to win the European Cup, first Northern European team to win the European Cup. Over 40 shots at goal during the game. Uh, supporters travelling to Lisbon at a time when pe people never did fall in travel, so it was a kind of unique thing. Uh, and how far they came under Jock's team where a couple of years earlier they were going absolutely nowhere and within two years they become European champions. So yeah, that's my two games. Thanks to Jim for sharing his answers with us. To share some of your memories with us, get in touch on Twitter by tweeting to at footballmemsco and tell us your best football memories. Last week, we sadly heard of Gordon McQueen being diagnosed with vascular dementia. McQueen was known throughout his days as a tough, uncompromising centre-back who loved a header. But as a youth, he was a goalkeeper. History could have turned out very differently for Gordon had he stayed in nets, but the young defender signed for St Mirren when he was 18. Gordon impressed with his performances and later told Shoot magazine that his most memorable game at St Mirren was a 4-1 win for the Buddies over Rangers at Ibrooks. Perhaps a surprising choice, given he told the same interviewer that his favourite other team was Rangers. In another similar interview, he also claimed to have a liking for his local junior team, Kilburnie Laidside. After two seasons at Love Street, Leeds United paid the Buddies £30,000 for his services, roughly in the region of £405,000 in today's money. He moved down to Elland Road in the summer of 1972 and formed a highly effective defensive partnership with Norman Hunter. The man he replaced in the team was none other than one of England's best defenders, Jack Charlton. Gordon described going into the dressing room for the first time as a Leeds player being like opening up a football magazine with the amount of talent they had assembled. Leeds United were managed by the great Don Revy at the time Gordon signed for them and had just won the FA Cup. In his first season with the Whites, Gordon helped the team to reach the FA Cup final where Sunderland caused an upset by beating the much-fancied Leeds team who were looking to retain the cup. Paul Maidley played instead of Gordon in the final, but he would go on to be an integral part of the Leeds title-winning side the following season when they pipped Liverpool to the first division title by five points. Don Revy departed Leeds United to take the England job in the summer of 1974 and was replaced by Brian Clough, who infamously only lasted 44 days at Elland Road. While Gordon was known for commanding performances in the centre of defence, he was always quick to praise his teammates. He once joked in a documentary about Leeds' team in the 1970s, My mother could probably have went into that Leeds United side at the time and played at centre-half, because the players round about were that good. Now a league winner, Gordon earned his first Scotland call-up in the summer of 1974 and made his debut in a 2-1 away defeat to Belgium. 
His first goal for the national team would come in the 89th minute of an away game against Romania to ensure a one-all draw between the two sides. In total, Gordon would score five goals in 30 appearances for Scotland, including the opening goal in Scotland's famous 2-1 win against England at Wembley in 1977. At the peak of Leeds' success in the 70s, their team contained several Scotland internationals. Gordon McQueen, David Harvey, Peter Lorimer, Joe Jordan, Billy Bremner and Eddie Gray, to name just a few. Don Revy would encourage his players to play Scotland v England five-a-side games during training. And as Leeds at one point had 17 Scottish players on their books by Gordon's estimation, there was no shortage of Scots. Following Brian Clough's disastrously short time in charge at Leeds, Jimmy Armfield was brought in as a steady pair of hands to replace him, and Leeds made it all the way to the final of the European Cup in 1975. Sadly for Gordon, he had been sent off in the semi-final against Barcelona and would miss the final through a suspension. Without Gordon in the middle of defence, Leeds lost 2-0 to Bayern, who retained the title and would do so again the following year against Saint-Étienne at Hampden Park. In early 1978, Gordon gave an interview with Shoot magazine where he said that he was happy at Leeds to stay there for the rest of his career. However, after six successful years with Leeds, Gordon crossed the Pennines and signed for Manchester United in February 1978, to the dismay of the Elland Road faithful. Gordon said this on signing for the Red Devils. Ask all the players in the country which club they would like to play for and 99% would say Manchester United. The other 1% are liars. Gordon wasn't the only Scot to join Dave Sexton's United side. Martin Buchan had been at Old Trafford for several years and Joe Jordan had not long made the same move as Gordon from Elland Road to Old Trafford. Lou McCary was also a part of the Scottish contingent at Old Trafford. Gordon was known for his headed goals, as he would say himself. We used to work out this set piece at training. I used to say to Ray Wilkins, just aim for the biggest thing on the park, my head, and it used to work. In 1979, Gordon finally got his chance to play in an FA Cup final, as United travelled to Wembley to play Arsenal. Two first half goals from Brian Talbot and Frank Stapleton put Arsenal 2-0 up at the break, and with only five minutes to go in the match, it looked like the Gunners would cruise to victory. However, in the 86th minute, Gordon managed to get a goal back and Sammy McElroy got an equaliser in the 88th minute. Just when it seemed like things were set up for extra time, Alan Sunderland got a last-minute goal to win the game 3-2 for Arsenal. This final would be dubbed the five-minute final due to the routine nature of the first 85 minutes and the exciting, dramatic climax to the end of the game. 
Gordon would get another crack at the FA Cup in 1983 when United, now managed by Ron Atkinson, took on Brighton and Hove Albion. This final ended 2-2 after 90 minutes and is famously remembered for Gordon Smith of Brighton failing to score and win the game for Brighton after the commentator Peter Jones uttered the words, and Smith must score. The final went to a replay five days later, which United won 3-0, and Gordon had finally won an FA Cup medal. While United would win the FA Cup again in 1985, Gordon did not play in the final this time, as Paul McGrath took his place, and Gordon departed for Seiko Sports Association in Hong Kong. After hanging up his boots, Gordon went into coaching and was manager of Airdrionians in 1987-88. He also coached at St Mirren and was the assistant manager to Brian Robson at Middlesbrough before becoming a regular pundit for Sky Sports. We wish Gordon all the best in his fight with vascular dementia and are sure that he will tackle it with as much bravery and conviction that he showed his opponents on the park. At the start of this week's episode, we asked you which two clubs from the Aberdeen area have won the Scottish Junior Cup. The clubs in question are Sunnybank and Banks O'D. Sunnybank lifted the cup in 1953 at Hamden as they beat Lochie Harp 2-1 in front of 22,600. Banks O'D won the cup four years later in 1957 by beating Kilsyth Rangers 1-0 at Hamden in front of 30,800. Auchinleck Talbot are the current holders of the cup, having won the competition in 2019 with a 2-0 win over Largs Thistle at New Douglas Park in Hamilton. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBrearty. Additional material from Shoot Magazine, Manchester United TV, BBC Sports Scotland and Sky Sports News.